myself and on behalf of every person in this room that you have not given us what we deserve. And Lord, you must be, well, I don't, uh, if it were me, I would be extremely impatient uh, waiting for a person like me to get his act together, to do what he ought to do and to do more of uh, getting the gospel to people. I thank you for your patience with me. And Lord, I pray tonight that as we look into your word, I pray that you would strengthen us. I firmly believe that if we'll be well-rounded in our knowledge and understanding of the Bible, that it will fuel the fire of our service for you and our love for you. Bless our time in the book, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Let's look right at the outline in front of you there. We're talking about Bible doctrine. And I basically, last Sunday night and again this morning, have laid such a foundation that I don't think I want to take your time to lay it again. We need to learn the basic teachings of our faith. And most Christians are not very familiar with those basic teachings of the Christian faith. So let me jump right in here. First of all, I want you to notice number one, and there's only, well, there's a bunch of lines in the front, and there's uh, just three in the back. But we're going to spend probably the bulk of the time, I guess, on the, in the inside of this handout here. But first of all, theology is the study of God. Not only is that the meaning of the word, but it is the definition I'm talking about. You know how sometimes the word will have a meaning and then there's, it's what it means to us. But this is both. The meaning of the word theology is God's study. Theo, no barking please, um, means God. Ology is the study of or the science of. And so theology is the study of God. You'll notice the statement there, and the man underneath there is a uh, Baptist theologian from the 19th century, James P. Boyce, said theology is defined as a science. It is eminently worthy of that name. It lacks nothing but uh, that constitutes a science. Okay, now you think of various sciences. Biology is the study of life. And zoology is the study of animals. Theology is the study of God. All right? Number two, the Bible is the sole authority, S-O-L-E, the sole authority for every Christian's study of God. Now, quite frankly, there would be some portions of what they would call Christianity. I frankly would not call it Christianity. There would be some portions of Christianity that would say, no, 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 the Bible is not the sole authority on the study of God. There are other ways. And that would be a major difference between what we preach 
and with what other groups that, that may call themselves Christians, but scripturally speaking, they do not fit the definition because the Bible is clear that the Bible itself, we read it this morning, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What does that say? It's saying the Bible gives you everything you need. And there are other portions of Scripture that tell us, no, it's the, it's the Word of God that is the foundation of all that we believe. Notice the quote there from Charles Hodge, who was a, a theologian also in the 19th century. He said, all the facts, truths, doctrines, and principles which enter into Christian theology are in the Bible. Now, I've given seven examples, and I'm going to ask you to write these down. I'm going to ask you to write them down because I want you to remember them. Seven examples of it's not the Bible plus. You be very careful as you, as you maybe search the Internet for some Bible answers. Be very careful that there's a lot out there under the name Christian that does not believe that all of our doctrine comes solely from the Bible. It's the Bible plus. Let me show you some things that some folks think it's the Bible plus. And I'm telling you, if if you're going to go with the Christian faith, if you're going to learn theology from the Bible... It's not the Bible plus any of these things that are the authority. In other words, okay, the Bible says this. Let's balance that out with what this other thing tells us. And when we put the two together, when we consider the Bible and then and what it says, and then we consider what this other source, and we combine the two, then we'll have a better idea of God. No, it's the Bible plus nothing. So let me fill in those blanks, and these are these all represent teachings and philosophies that really do exist or have existed over the last couple of thousand years. First of all, it's not the Bible plus science. Now I'm not going to go into a big tirade against science, nor am I going to go into a big explanation about science. I remember my first day in science class in seventh grade. Before seventh grade, I went to public school up until uh, uh, through seventh grade and uh, never had a science class before that. When seventh grade was my first day in any kind of science class, and I was, I was excited about it because I, I thought right away, you know, we're going to be cutting up frogs or something or, or, or test tubes or something. I thought it's going to be cool. It wasn't that at all. First day of science class, the Teacher's name was Mr. Bronson, was not Charles, but walked into class, we sat down, and the teacher took a piece of chalk, and he wrote his name on it, but didn't say a word, wrote wrote his name on the board. He went over to his desk, he pulled out, opened a drawer, and he pulled out a piece of string. He hadn't said a word yet. His first day of class, he hadn't said a word yet. He lays it out on his desk. He goes into another drawer. He pulls out a tape dispenser. Every good teacher has a tape dispenser. He pulls out a piece of tape, and he puts it on this end of the string. The class is silent because we're going, this is 
Did we get in a crazy class here? What's going on? He pulls out another piece of tape, puts it on the other end of the string. He picks it up, and he turns around. He puts it on the, uh, tapes it to the chalkboard. He's <laughs> got a winner right here. Takes out some construction paper and some scissors. He starts cutting out shapes. I think he cut out a triangle and a square. And um, then he opens up a drawer and he pulls out some paper clips. Takes a paper clip and he paper clips the triangle to one end of the string. Takes another paper clip and he paper clips uh, the, the square to the other end of the string. He may have done another couple things after that. I don't know. Seventh grade is a pretty long time ago. He turns around and he utters his first word. I'm sorry, he did one more thing. He took the chalk and he wrote on the board the word observation. Then he turned around and he spoke to us. He said, students, science is observation. Nothing more. Nothing less. He said, I want you to take out a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to write a one-page description of what you just saw me do. He said, and when you're finished, what you have written on that paper is science. You observed what I did. You didn't give an opinion about it. You didn't give, you know, the theory of what's going on in the teacher's head that made him do that. You're writing down a description of what you just observed. I obviously never forgot that. That's what science is. But as I've said a number of times, there's no such thing as an unbiased scientist, just like there's no such thing as an unbiased historian. You have to know that going in. Okay, so I'm not talking about when I say the Bible plus science, I'm not bashing Science, what I'm saying is, when the Bible seems to say one thing and National Graphic or or the Discovery Channel seems to say something else, for example, one of the most basic things, the Bible dates the human race at about 6,000 years old. But the Discovery Channel is going to go with the billions and billions of years. The History Channel. Yeah, well, you know, we think that mankind uh, uh, about 10,000 years ago. No, none of that. You say, well, you you really think, are you going to let religion uh, (laughs) control your life that much? That when it runs contrary to public opinion, you're going to stick with religion? No, 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 I'm not sticking with religion. I'm sticking with God's word. So, It's not the Bible plus science. It's not the Bible plus number two. And I left the first letter there for you so you know what line you're on. It's not the Bible plus tradition. And there are a lot of groups out there that say, well, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I also know what we've always believed. It's not the Bible plus tradition. It's the Bible is the sole authority for our study of God. Next, it's not the Bible, believe it or not, it's not the Bible plus the church. 
whether we're talking about some worldwide organization that calls itself the church or whether we're talking about a local assembly. By the way, the Bible definition of church is a local assembly. That's always what it is, a local assembly. Uh, Anybody that says that, yes, I'm part of the church, but they don't belong to a local assembly, they're not a part of a church. There's no such thing as a universal body called the church. Now, I'm not going to go down that road here, but understand, especially to understand this point, if if the Bible says uh, one thing and the church says something else, I'm believing what the Bible says, not what the church says. Not only that, it's not the Bible, the, the, the sole authority for our study of God is not the Bible plus human reasoning. And there have been various movements over the years of uh, people that had a, a uh, higher reasoning, higher learning, uh, uh, higher criticism of the things of God. It's not the Bible plus reason. Uh, not only that, the authority for our study of God is not the Bible. I'll put these glasses back on. <laughs> not the Bible plus experience. Now you got to be careful this one. Because even well-meaning Christians will make a statement like this. Well, I know what the, the, the Bible says, but uh, I don't want to hear what's after that. See, but I know why. I know. I know what happened. I was there. I don't know how to explain what you saw when you were there. All I know is I'm going with what the Bible says. It's not the Bible plus scholarship. That's the, the authority for what our study of God. It's not the Bible plus public opinion. It's the Bible. The Bible is our sole authority in our study of God. Number three. Now, here's uh, we're going to get a little bit bigger term here. Systematic theology is a method of studying God by organizing all of the doctrines of the Bible into basic categories. I have to tell you, the average preacher of an independent Baptist church, if I told them I'm going I'm to be doing a series on systematic theology, they'd say, you're out of your mind. Because systematic theology is automatically associated with some big, complicated, and, and <laughs> for good reason. I've got volumes of systematic theology in my office that'll make your hair catch on fire while you're reading it. You get so frustrated, you go, you know, scratch my eyes out. Oh, that's terrible. But uh, I mean, just really, because they can go so, so, subpoint, 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 and oh. So I get that when they say, you're teaching systematic theology. That's crazy. Here's all it is. Systematic theology is taking, all right, all of the knowledge. In the, how many like to sort things out? You, you know, like it's 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 funny. You know, if if you if you now there's sometimes when sorting is tedious, but there's sometimes where it's like, man, I really feel fulfilled right now. You know what I mean? To to go. Any of you men have a a a jar or coffee can or maybe a bunch of them uh, full of uh, every time you've had a project, you know, you had some leftover nails, you threw it in a jar. Uh, every time you had a, uh, you know, you, you took something apart or, or something like that, you had some leftover wood screws, metal screws, nuts and bolts, you throw them in a jar. I got all kinds of jars like that. 
And uh, I, the, the thing I never get around to because I feel like, man, it's just, I, I got so much to do, I can't get to this. But to sit there, something about it, something very fulfilling about sitting down and dumping that jar out on the table and say, okay, nut and bolt over here. Wood screw here, metal screw here. And you get to the bottom of that pile, and now, now you've got cans. This is all nails in this can. This is all little nuts and bolts in this can. This is all washers in this can. This is, and now all of a sudden, wow, that was, there's something about that. Now, besides the idea of being fulfilled, next time you need, how many of you ever had the experience of you needed a washer? And this is usually where I'm at. You need one washer for some project you do, or you need one certain, certain sized bolt for some project you're doing, and you got no choice but to take that whole can and dump it on the table and sort through it. There's got to be one like you're sorting through it. Whereas if you had sorted them out, you'd know which can it's in. Now, if you're really good at this stuff, and in the next life, I think I'm going to be really good at this stuff. Not this one. I'm just, it's too far gone now. But uh, if you're really good at this stuff, you got, you got that bench with about 500 little drawers, you know. And uh, you say, oh, yeah, I need a, a, a whatever size bolt. Oh, yeah, okay, right over here. Right there. Oh, boy, that would, be, that would be great. Okay, all of that illustration to say that is precisely what systematic theology is. It is sorting all of the doctrines of the Bible into basic categories. That's all it is. Okay? Wednesday nights right here, we study the Bible in a biblical order. We take a book, we start at the first verse, we go to the second verse, we go to the third verse. We have done that every Wednesday. Well, we, we've had a couple of, of side trails, but for the most part, every Wednesday night for about the last 12 or 13 years. That's studying the Bible in a biblical order. That's just a different way of sorting out the Bible. Systematic theology takes the contents of the whole Bible and puts it into basic categories. It is called a Christian discipline. In other words, it's something that you can benefit from from listening to me teach it, but I'll tell you something, it's something that you can benefit from by setting out to study, to, to create your own system of Bible doctrine. You say, oh, gosh, that's just way too... Maybe it is for some people. But I think for more Christians than not, if you were to set out to take all of your Bible knowledge from over the years and categorize it, it would be of great value to you, not only for for learning the Bible, but for recalling it when you're trying to explain things to somebody else. It It would strengthen you. It would solidify your faith like you would not believe. Systematic theology, a method of studying God by organizing all of the doctrines of the Bible into basic categories. Understand, there's no perfect way of doing this. I suppose there's wrong ways of doing this, but there's no super right way of doing this. 
the, the most right way of doing this is to do it in the way that causes you to understand the, the Bible and helps you to teach it to somebody else. So I read seven. Now, there's a bunch. Let me tell you this. This is something you need to know, all right? This is not going to change your life, but it's going to be good for you to know this. I didn't write this down in your notes. But one of the foundations of modern theology, I'm talking about for the last 500 years, one of the most relied upon, now not reliable, I don't like it, but relied upon foundations for Bible doctrine and theology for the last 500 years was written by John Calvin. It's called Institutes in the Christian Religion. I think I've got that name right. I've never read it. I had to read a portion of it in Christian high school, but I've never read it through. There's one person I don't read and I don't quote, and it's John Calvin. I just I feel like everything he practically do, did and teaches is infected by a certain stream of false doctrine, and I just don't like to mess with any of it. Now, here, here's why you need to know this. Because you're going to meet Christians that are going to say, and you're going to read this phrase. How many of you have ever heard the phrase? I'm just curious. You, you, you've heard the phrase, Reformed theology. That's, that ring a bell with you? Okay. And you say, I, I don't know. Do I believe in Reformed theology? Okay, Reformed theology means you're basing your doctrines or that you embrace the doctrines that are built on John Calvin's writings. Basically, that's an oversimplification, but that's basically it. See, John Calvin was one of the Reformers. And I don't have time to explain this. We're probably going to do this on a Wednesday night when we finish the book of James. But understand, folks, that if you... Hold to Baptist doctrine. You are not a Protestant. Do you get that? Your faith, your religion did not come out of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, Reformed religions, um, the the, the religions of the Reformation, Lutheranism. Let's just go with the Lutherans. Uh, Presbyterians. They did come out, uh, Episcopalians. They came out of the, of the Catholic Church. So there's a lot of Catholicism still in their doctrine. Baptists did not. Now you say, how is that possible? Because you never hear about that Baptist history. You never hear about it, but there's tons and tons and tons of history about it. And we just might hit that for a little bit on Wednesday nights. Just, you say, Pastor, how, how does that... How does that help my marriage? It may not help your marriage, but it may may make you more stable in your faith, which will help your marriage. Don't you ever have anybody ask you, what's the difference between all these religions anyway? And you went, because you didn't know. You can know not just how to answer a question by memorizing an answer, but by gaining an understanding. Okay, so you are part of a Baptist church, you have Baptist doctrine. We did not come through the Reformation. In fact, <laughs> this will uh, enlighten you a little bit. The Baptists, many of whom were, were in hiding because of the Catholic Church persecuting Christians, 
when it was reported to them that Luther and Zwingli and Calvin had created this liberty in the Catholic Church to, to get closer to the Bible again. People thought, oh, great. Now, now the Baptists don't have to hide anymore because of the persecution of the issue. You know what the end result was? <laughs> the, the Lutherans persecuted the Baptists too. And the Baptist leaders and the, ba- the Baptist preachers, the Baptist churches said, no, the Reformation didn't remove our persecution. It multiplied it. Because the Lutherans didn't like baptism by immersion either. Which was one of the key doctrines. One of the doctrines that a lot of Baptists today don't think is a big deal. Let me tell you, it's a big deal. Anyhow, I- I, I, I almost had to get off on that just to explain this point right here. That Reformed theology is the theology based upon the, the, it, it's the, based upon the theology of the Reformers, mainly John Calvin. And that's not our faith. That's not what we believe and practice. So when somebody says uh, to me, now you say what you believe if you understand it, you, you embrace Reformed theology? No. And by the way, basically what they're asking, they found a fancy way to ask you if you're a hyper-Calvinist. No, I don't embrace that. Now, there are others who have written this systematic theology, taking the doctrines of the Bible and organizing them into categories. There are others who have, who have done that over the end. And I can give you their names, but, but that's not going to help you. I mean, if you want me to write down their names, I will. But I'm going to tell you, it's some complicated, right, detailed, not complicated, it's detailed, very detailed writing. If you want to read it, hey, more power to you, go for it. It, it. It'll help you, but it's some deep stuff. It's some detailed stuff. That's what I mean by deep. But what I've done tonight, now if you haven't done it yet, open, open that little piece of paper and there are no blanks on the inside. It's all just information. I have tried to find or create. The list you see in front of me is, okay, the words and the concepts come from the Bible. And they come from help from other writers. But the list itself is not a copy of anyone's list. I assembled the list and I prayed about it. I've prayed about this for months. I'm not kidding you. For example, let me, let me give you something, and I'll show you in a minute. If you look down the middle column, there's one box that's empty. How many see what I'm talking about? You see there's one box that has no words in it. And what's next to that, to the, to the left of that? Christian living. And I have wondered for months, where does prayer fit into all these subjects? Where does faith fit into all these subjects? Is, is prayer a part of... Bible doctrine is prayer part of theology. You better believe it is. But where does it fit in these other categories? And boy, it has bothered me because all those fancy words in the middle, those are all fancy words that people learn in seminary. And And finally I came across one writer who just had a category, didn't have any fancy word for it. It just said Christian living. I said, bang, I'm going with that. I don't care if there's a fancy word for it or not. If you don't have a category that prayer fits into, your theology is not complete. And other things like that. You know, where, where does tithing fit? Uh, you know, I mean, where does soul winning fit? No wonder they might leave that out of there. 
Anyway, so I put this together, and there's, there's no, I didn't find anyone else's list that's exactly like this, because all we're looking for, okay, let's go back to the sorting thing, and I hope I'm not, I'm not killing, killing you with that, but let's go back to, to sorting out, uh, you're sorting out uh, nuts and bolts or whatever. One of the hardest things about doing a good job of sorting things is choosing what categories you're going to put them into. How many of you, okay, let's go to file folders. How many of you have ever tried to sort out files? And one of the toughest things is knowing how to categorize things, right? You know what I'm saying? You know, what, what, what title do I give that where I'm going to find this piece of paper again when I need it? Whether we're actual papers or whether we're talking about on your computer. How you organize the files of your computer is extremely important. Otherwise, you're going to put something in there, you're never going to find it again. So one of the hardest things is getting the categories just right. So here we have the 12 categories that I think will be helpful to you. Most of them are combinations of what, what, what I almost said other theologians. I know a theologian, okay? I, I, what, what, what writers and theologians have put to some Some only had three or four categories. I'm like, man, I just don't see how everything fits into those three or four categories. But let me give you this list. And I'll say this, just so you know I'm not making stuff up. Every one of these categories is on some theologian's list, some Bible scholar's list. I didn't make any of these up, okay? So let me give them to you. These are common categories if you're going to study the Bible systematically, as I've been describing. Common categories. First one, first category is God. And that is called, the, 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 the official name for that is theology proper. That's what they'll tell you in some theology proper. And what, is that, what does theology mean? It means the study of God. Second category, the Bible. Now he said, wait a minute, it's all studying the Bible. No, this is what the Bible teaches about the Bible. Topics like inspiration. Topics like preservation. All right, so all those would be under the category of the Bible, and the big fancy word is bibliology, which means the study of the Bible. Third one there, you see category number three, Jesus. And that title, the official theology title, is Christology, which means the study of Jesus. Next category, the Holy Spirit. Now, time out. You say, well, wait a second. It already said God. Doesn't, doesn't Jesus and the Holy Spirit fit under God? Yes, it does. But God, when we say, when we say God, we, we're talking about one of two things. Usually we're referring to God the Father. But we could also be addressing the entire Trinity. Okay? When we're talking about Jesus, we're specifically talking about what the Bible teaches about God the Son. And, of course, the Holy Spirit. We're specifically talking about what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. All right, next category, man. What does the Bible teach about man? And that would be under the category of anthropology. You say, well, wait a minute, I don't see anything about animals on here. Okay, animals, yeah, the Bible teaches us some things about animals, but that's not a Bible doctrine. And I don't know if you love your pet. You're going, well, maybe it should be. Well, maybe it should. Take it up with God, but that's not a... Teaching on animals is not a Bible doctrine that teaches us about God, all right? Next category, sin. Oh, by the way, anthropology. Now, you've got to be careful because anthropology is also a science talking about, you know, the history of man. 
So we're talking about Bible anthropology, or it's been called theological anthropology. That'll get your tongue tied, and it's the study of man. Next is sin. And that big word there is pronounced hamartiology. Yeah, there's one to go home and what would you learn about tonight? We learned about hamartiology, the study of marshmallows. But no, uh, the study of sin, salvation, soteriology, the study of salvation. Christian living, as I said before, no fancy word for that one, but it's the study of obedient Christian living. Next category, the church. And the big word for that is ecclesiology, which means the study of the church. Next, the study of the category of angels, which is called angelology, and that's the study of angels. You say, well, this is repetitive. Yeah, but we're just putting it on the record here. These are the categories. You can take every doctrine of the Bible and fit it into these categories and then study it one category at a time, and then you've got, a, you've, you've got an organized system or a systematic theology. All right, the next one, Satan. That's the study. Uh, now, some would put the study of Satan under angels because he's a fallen angel. But I believe it's, and, and that, that's justified, but I believe for our best understanding, it's best to make it a separate category. Satanology is the study of Satan and demons. And last of all, prophecy and eternity, and that's called eschatology. Of all these ologies, that's one that you'll be more likely to hear. And, but, but don't you want to know when somebody says, what do you believe? Let's talk about eschatology. Do you want to be going, oh, boy, Pastor never told us about that one. <laughs> I'm telling you now. Now, I don't go around using those words. I don't recommend you go around using those words. But you should know it. So now I'm giving it to you so you know it. Prophecy and eternity, eschatology, and eschatology simply means the study of last things. So that would include heaven and hell. That's the end of the, end of the road, one or the other for all of us. Last things, how the world is going to end, prophecies included in there. Anything related to prophecy, heaven or hell, eschatology, the study of last things. Turn over quickly, we're all done, the back of the page here. Just some thoughts, and we may hit these thoughts again, but I think it's very important for us to hit them tonight as we close. First of all, letter A, our motive for studying God and Bible doctrine must always be a passion for God. We should never be motivated by showing how smart we are. I know more than you do. We should never be motivated by, I want to be called a scholar. I think that makes a mockery of of God and his word. Our motive should be a passion for God. There you see there, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. By the way, this is the the theme verse or the key verse of everything that we we, we do, a couple of things under under, the, my daily pursuit of God, that is the theme verse of that. If you, if you read your Bible according to the daily pursuit of God, you see that verse every single week. It's on the top of the page. I'm working on some other projects that are helping, like Bible study guides based upon our Wednesday night Bible studies. And at, at some point, I'll get those into spiral-bound book form where you can study the Bible for yourself and fill in the blanks as you go. And that's also going to be under my daily pursuit of God. And it'll have that theme verse on there because I, I love that verse, Jeremiah 29, 13. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. 
our motive for studying God and Bible doctrine must always be a passion for God. Do you have a passion for God? Secondly, letter B, our study of God and Bible doctrine must always be accompanied by genuine love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Charity is specifically that love that we have for other people through God, or it's God loving other people through us. So if you get so wrapped up in your study of doctrine that you lose your compassion for the world, it has become unproductive. It has become counterproductive. If you become such a scholar of God's word that you can't remember the last time you witnessed to a lost person or passed out a track or brought somebody to church, your study of Bible doctrine has become counterproductive. Productive. So it must always be motivated by a passion for God. It must always be accompanied by genuine love. And let us see, our study of God and Bible doctrine should result in greater service for the Lord. And that brings us back to where we started, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved under God. A Say the next word with me, a workman. That needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That tells me that if you're rightly dividing the word of the truth, the end, if you're rightly dividing it, if you're studying it properly, the end result's going to be more service. If it doesn't, if your study of Bible doctrine, if your study of theology, that's a little redundant there, but if your if your pursuit of theology does not make you a better, a more fired up, a more zealous servant of God, something's amiss. Something's out of whack. I pray that God uses Bible truth to fuel our fire, to give a greater passion for souls, to give us a greater desire to see God's work be accomplished in Northeast Baptist Church in the city of Danbury and the surrounding areas. Let's stand together. We'll close in a word of prayer tonight. I don't know if you find this intriguing or interesting at all.